All right, you guys got your swords, got your weapons, Ecclesiastes. Chapter 11, we have two chapters left. We have 11 and 12. I'm going I'm to I'm gonna take 11 today. So uh, we got literally two sermons left. I hope this has blessed you guys as much as it's blessed us to go through this book that is um, usually like not really touched or paid attention to. Um, and it's just, it's just amazing how God has dealt with me and done business with me. Um, and, and even in a, in a book that, that is largely a, a, a rain cloud, um, has brought me so much hope and life from looking at what's there. And so um, hopefully the same thing has um, occurred with you guys. Uh, we're going to take, take all of chapter 11. It's just 10 verses. Um, and then Brent is going to finish this thing up and close it up next week. So, um, and we're not going to tell you where we're going next. It's a secret. So you'll just, you'll just have to come and see. So. Chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where it falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember the days of darkness will be many, and all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. Uh, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had the opportunity, finally, after a couple of years of failed attempts, just because of how life has gone, uh, we finally got to make our beach trip, which we usually try to do once a year where we go to the Oregon coast, we get a house that's right on the beach. That's how I refuel. So the plan is like the house uh, is on the beach and I sit on the deck and I do nothing but stare at the ocean, right? And then I come back all rocking, like ready to go again. And it fills the tank, like I need that. I need that thing, I'm a Southern California boy and so like I need, I need, my, I need my ocean air and my ocean sound and my ocean sight. And so we went and took my parents a couple weeks ago, just the four of us, me, Carrie, and my parents, and went to the beach house. I think we went to Lincoln City first time we went there. And um, it was this house on the beach. And it was rad. We just sat, did nothing, puzzles, you know, ate way too much, um, all that kind of stuff. But every day, me and my dad did, did deck day, right? So um, we would go out onto the back deck. Um, and we would sit, and there was mostly just a lot of silence. Um, and that's part of what I love about my dad is that we, we, don't ha we can say things without saying things. Like, we can, um, we can let the silence be what it needs to be, right? But, um, and and he, would, he would stare at the horizon um, because he was an aircraft, aircraft carrier guy in Vietnam. So he looks at the horizon, I look at the break, um, and we just did our thing. But once in a while, he would, he would give me something. 
Once in a while, there would just be um, this, this, this nugget, you know, that would come out of his life. And he wasn't even trying. It was just a, a result of a man who's lived for a long time. And I realized that my, my dad's a wise man. Um, there's been a lot of times in my life that I've looked at him and thought, this is the enemy. You know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of things like between me and my dad that we don't agree on or get down on. But um, just as we're sitting there this week and spending this time together, I realized that, that my dad is a wise man. He's done a lot of living. Um, he's got a lot to offer. He's, he's failed a lot. He's learned a lot of lessons. And, um, and so I just found myself kind of grabbing onto everything that was coming out of his mouth. And really, this, I, all that to say, this is really kind of um, the, the mode of the, of the book that we're in right now, is ever since like chapter 10, once Solomon has established for all of us that all of his um, um, failed life experiments for purpose and meaning are vanity, now he's just, he's kind of just giving us wisdom as a result of a man that's experienced a lot of life. And he started that in, in chapter 10, and we're continuing in that today. And so that's just to kind of set the stage for what we're looking at. And what I want to do in 11 is bring out four things. Because again, like a lot of Ecclesiastes, I think some of this can be kind of hard for us to understand. Uh, some of the way that they, they the Eastern thinking um, us Westerners don't don't track with real well sometimes and um, and so I, I think it's just always more helpful for me a dude that's not very smart not very deep uh, to just like get to like what's the heart like what's the point and um, and so I want to do that by bringing out four things today out of 11 the first one is this I believe that Solomon is is giving us uh, some some life sensibilities here some wisdom for going through life, okay? Four things that are helpful for us to practice or be sensible of. Number one, invest. Number one, invest. Uh, I see that in verse one. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Um, some people, some commentators have suggested as you go through this text that he's actually um, making um, financial or enterprise type of statements or advice um, I don't think that's true for a few reasons that I'm not going to go into. We're going to just play this as general advice. We're not going to, you could probably apply it to the financial realm, but um, like if this is just strictly about finances, like we probably all ought to work on our portfolios when we go home, um, uh, you know, get some Dave Ramsey courses going. Um, I, I don't think that's what he's doing. I think this is just, just general wisdom for how to live life. Um, I, I, I don't think maybe it's monetary at all. Um, to, to the Jews reading this at the time, um, their immediate thought would have maybe been with farming, and we're going to see some of that language here in this text as far as farming and, and seed and, and reaping. And they actually had a time where they probably heard stories from generations previous to them of the time in Egypt where um, the, the Egyptians would actually take their seed um, and they would get on a boat and they would get on the Nile and they would go up and down the water and cast their seed upon the waters, which to a lot of us would probably look really stupid. But what would happen is every year those waters in the Nile would recede. And when they receded, there was an abundance, an abundance of wheat that would immediately come up. 
Okay, and so it's it's kind of that idea. We still see this practiced in Asia. When you think of a rice field, uh, you, you you think of walls that are built up so that they're actually flooding the section where you know they have stuff coming up. And there's that's because there's an abundance um, that comes from uh, doing it that way. And so I, I think I think Solomon's probably just you know kind of going along those lines of philosophy. Um, Keeping it simple, I think, invest, uh, what he's really talking about is just something that's life-giving. We all know that bread is life-giving. It's a life-giving thing. And so if we were to simplify this, I think he's saying invest that which is life-giving to others. Good works. Good works. Be generous with your works and with your possessions. Share well. Share well what you have. Give well to others. Be charitable. Be charitable. This principle is um, very reminiscent of things that our Lord taught us concerning investment with our generosity and our charity, right? You can think of places like Matthew chapter 25, uh, where we have the parable of the talents, right? And you've got the master that has um, three servants, and he's going away, and so he comes to those servants, and he divvies out that which is valuable to him right, to those servants, amongst those servants. And he gives one five talents, he gives one two talents, and he gives another one one talent. And he goes away, he does his deal. And when he comes back to those servants uh, and asks, you know, how did things go? How did you take care of that valuable, which I left with you? Uh, the one with five was like, well, check it out, dude. Like, I doubled it. Um, here's 10 back, right? And, and he's like, like, well done. You know what I mean? He goes to the next one with two, and he's like, I doubled it too. Like, here's four back. Right? And he goes to the one with one, and he's like, what's up? And he's like, I buried it, um, and, and, but it's safe. And, and so, like, uh, here it is. Here's, here's what it is that you gave me. And the words that Jesus um, speaks back to that one are not good. I don't even want to repeat them. But, but the bottom line is that dude that had one and buried it and held onto it for himself and didn't invest it, um, basically lost that which was entrusted to him. He lost that one thing, okay? And so we, we see that it's important as we read our Bibles and as we listen to our Lord um, that uh, the investment is important to our Lord, important to, um, to God. There's a, there's a statement in the 12-step rooms um, AA, NA rooms that used to be read at the beginning of every single meeting. And that is that we can only keep what we have by giving it away. Um, and that is not something that they came up with. Uh, that was ripped off from the Bible. That was ripped off from our Lord, just like pretty much everything that's in this 12-step, you know, rooms, all the truths, which is okay because it works, Right? And um, that is very true with what you and I have been given in Christ. That the, the very nature of redemption and salvation and inheritance is not meant to be hidden. It's not meant to be held onto and buried and kept. It's meant to be shared. It has to be by nature. It has to flow out of us. And this is exactly how the gospel, the, the gospel comes to us, flows into us, does a work, and then flows out of us. We cannot, we cannot really keep what we have unless we give it away. That's how we keep it. That's how we rejoice in what we have. That's how we flourish and mature and rejoice in what we have in Christ 
is by extending it to other people that don't deserve it. It, it, it has to go outward. It can't be buried. And of course, we know that what we've been given is not meant to be put under a basket, but to be put high, that light that we have, right? So other people, so all around you can see it and do what? Glorify your God, which is in heaven. It's all about the glory of God that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that comes to the world out of people like you and I. It can't be held. It can't be buried. God is most glorified, and people discover God most in this earth by the goodness of God coming out of his people. And, um, and so we invest. We are a people that are outward. We are a people that are not ultimately about ourselves and what we have and how we can keep it. We're ultimately a people about other people because that's the very nature of Christ and heart of Christ towards us right? If we, if we know that we've been saved from so much undeservingly, there's no way that we can bury that and not try, attempt, um, do everything we can to extend that to other people that don't deserve Christ. And so we invest. That's what a Christian should be known for. So even, even stupid little things like trunk or treat, like we're about to do next week, becomes not stupid because it's something that we don't have to do. It's not something that we're personally benefiting from, it's something that we want the community to benefit from. We want them to know that this church is not an inward church, but that we're an outward church that cares about them, that cares about their kids, that cares about the neighborhood that they live in. And so we do selfless things like this, even if it's not something we would normally do, okay? We invest. Um, yeah, this is gonna be a long sermon. Number two, diversify. Right? Invest, diversify. He, say, he says, and to um, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster might happen on, on earth. Diversify who it is that you invest in. So um, diversify your generosity. Don't just invest in or do good towards those in your family or those closest to you or those who you have most in common with or those who you love. Um, but, but go outside of that. Diversify who you invest in. Um, why? Because you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know? Um, and I want you to notice that, that it doesn't say if a disaster occurs, but um, it's questioning what type will occur when it does. Okay? Because they do. And they will. Hard times fall upon everybody. So he's saying diversify, give a portion to seven or eight, not just because it's a nice thing to do, not just because it's a good work, but because it will also be helpful to you in a time of need. Okay? It's helpful to them, and it's also helpful to you. This is also known, or we might call it networking. Okay? Um, I'm a chimney guy. I've owned a chimney business for 25 years. And um, one of the things that I determined to do right away when I was young and didn't know what I was doing was that I wasn't going to make enemies within the industry. Like, I wasn't going to make en enemies within the other guys, my competition. Um, I knew that I wanted to be a blessing to my competition. I knew that I wanted to be on good terms with my competition. Um, and the truth is, by determining to do that and follow through with that, that's, that's come back to me in full over and over again through the years. Um, where we've, we've networked, we've, 
um, done more, um, and we've, we've helped each other more by coming together on things. So when I've had times of need, they've thrown me bones. When they've had times of need, I've thrown them a bone. And um, like it's just a general life principle that's helpful. <laughs> it's helpful to be helpful to others. Now this doesn't mean that if you do something for someone else that, that then they, they have to do that back where you're expecting that. That's not what Solomon's saying. But the truth is that if we're, if we're just good and we're out there taking care of people, there's a better chance that, they're, that we're going to be taken care of in our time of need. That's just the way life works. It's just a life sensibility, right? And so we diversify. There's no better place that I think we see this in action and we see the benefits of this than we do in the church, in what it is that we have right here. Because the bottom line is, like, I know I've said this, and I, like, I don't want to be mean, and I know you guys know that, but I'm just going to be honest. Like, I probably, we probably wouldn't have anything to do with each other outside of Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't be hanging out with you, and you wouldn't be hanging out with me. Like, we just wouldn't have a lot in common. I mean, look around the room, right? And yet, because of Christ in us, we have everything in common. We have all things in common. And this becomes, then, a family, a necessary family, a blessing of a family, the way that we take care of each other and look out for each other and make sure that everybody's good and everybody has what they need is because of Christ in us, right? And so we see in here that uh, just the effects of what it looks like when we got people that are diversifying with their love and with their service and with their servanthood towards other people. We hear nothing more um, as pastors when visitors come in here um, then the, the fact that, they, that that knocks them over when they come into this fellowship and see the way that people love each other and take care of each other. That's what we're talking about. And, and a lot of it makes no sense, which is what makes it so rad. It makes it so unusual when you see a couple people that aren't at all alike, and they would do anything for each other. They would do anything for each other. And we, we witness you guys doing this all the time. And so um, to diversify, um, I mean, if you can't look at the church of Jesus Christ and not see just that. It's all about diversity. It's all about a bunch of people that are utterly different from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of places coming together with a bond of love and faith in one person, right? And so diversify is, is the second one, and I, and I believe that we're all better for it. We're all, we're all better for having each other, right? I don't think anybody would argue with that statement, right? Um, number three, I'm to keep moving. Take a couple of verses here. Um, so number one, uh, invest. Number two, diversify. Number three, this one's going to hurt a little bit, um, but you'll be all right. Um, <laughs> take risks. Does that sound like wrong to anybody? Like, like initially just as it came out of my mouth, it's not biblical. Take risks. Take risks. Um, there is an absolute truth for each and every one of us that things are going to happen in life regardless of your planning, regardless of your worrying, regardless of your lack of sleep at night, regardless of your preventative measures, and strategizing, and caution, and hesitancy, things are going to absolutely happen in life regardless of you doing each of these things. So, don't let it stop you from living. This is basically 
verses 4, 5, 6 in a nutshell. Things are going to happen. Don't let it stop you or paralyze you from living, from acting, from moving forward. In other words, take risks. Okay? You guys all know I'm a stats guy, completely accurate with all, all my stats. Um, here, here's one that I think is safe. Okay? Wayne Gretzky once said, you will miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Like, I think that's a clean stat. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we can have any problems with that. Um, it, it, it's clean. And Solomon agrees. Solomon agrees. Okay? We will fail to succeed at every opportunity that we do not step into. Every single one of them. So take risks. And this does not mean be stupid and do stupid things. Those are two totally different things. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what Solomon's talking about. <clears throat> He's not saying be stupid. But he is saying take risks in life. Be willing to step into the unknown. Be willing to step into the unknown. A lot of you are just cringing right now. Like, yeah, I know that I have a problem with this in my life. Right? But stepping into the unknown is living. It is living. It means... Um, <clears throat> don't live a life of paralysis due to your need to be certain of the outcome. How many of you do that? You, don't, you do nothing because you need to make sure that everything's buttoned down and locked up perfectly before you move forward with it. Like, I think most of us have that tendency, if we're honest. Some of us have it <clears throat> worse than others. But we'll do that sometimes before we move forward. It means do not live a life of paralysis due to your need for the conditions to be perfect before you act. That's verse 4, basically. Look for every reason. We look for every reason sometimes to not step out and do something. That's what he's saying in 4, right? Like with planting. You know, you walk out and you're like, I don't know, those clouds are looking a little gnarly. Like, I don't think I should be out here today. You know, you walk out at another time, like, I don't know, it's kind of windy. I don't really like that wind. Like, I should do this another day. You know what I mean? Like, we're just, we're just waiting for it. And then we step out and it's, it's like the sun's out and it's like, ah, oh, man, it's probably going to get too hot today. You know what I mean? Like, we can't be, <laughs> like, we can find any reason why not to step into something. We'll just make excuses over and over and over again to be paralyzed. To do what we've always done and therefore continue getting what we've always got. Because it's safe. If you're one of those people who waits around for conditions to be perfect before you commit to anything, Solomon is talking to you, and I get it. I get it. I feel it when I read this text. Um, I get why we don't like to take risks. And I, and I believe that ultimately it's because of fear of failure. We might fail. What if I fail? What if it doesn't work out right? What if I get hurt? Right? It's that fear that paralyzes us, that keeps us stuck in familiar places, doing familiar things, because it's safe, predictable, and familiar. Uh, we can, in our minds, remain successful, in, in a sense, there, in that familiar place. Right? Continuing to succeed. But is that success? Is that success? Because there's another type of failure that I think we ought to be more concerned with, and that's the failure of not stepping into in opportunities that are presented to us. That stinks. I'm 48 years old, and I'm feeling this one right now. You know what I'm saying? I shoulda, I woulda, I coulda, if only. Right? Reflecting on these opportunities that God put in front of me that I just 
for whatever reason, didn't want to risk. Man, I wish I would have done some. I wish I would have walked in some of them at this point. There, there's, um, uh, when it comes to uh, regret, it's basically just a reflection. It's a reflection of our failures. And this can go both ways. This can be re regret, uh, but for things that we did do, that's <laughs> like, dang, I wish I didn't do that, you know? But a lot of times, it's because of stuff we didn't, right? We see um, this omission, commission thing. Um, and even the sin of omission and commission, uh, right from the beginning of our Bibles, right from the fall narrative with Adam and Eve and the bad guy, right? Coming in, and, and what's Eve doing when Satan comes to him? She's just dialoguing, like she's invested. She's active, right? She's talking. What's Adam doing? Nothing. He's completely passive. He's not saying what should be said. He's not doing what should be done. He's just watching this whole thing rot. So you have the, the sin of, of commission found in Eve, where she's, she's acting on this thing she shouldn't be acting on, right? And then you've got the, the sin of omission with Adam, where he's not acting on something that he should be, right? And so um, the omission and the commission, the regrets of failures go both ways, they go both ways when we reflect on those things in our life. And so with the, the regret of omission, we, we can be haunted with the thoughts of I should have, I could have, if I had only, like Brando, right? I could have been a, I could have been a contender. I'm not going to try to say it. I'm not going to try to say it with the accent because I always come out saying it like the Godfather, which is the wrong Brando. That's a different movie. So uh, could have been a contender. And, here, and here's where it gets kind of tricky, quite honestly, okay? Because we all look at the cautious person, we all look at the careful person, we all look at the thorough planner, and we say, that person's wise. That person's mature. And you know what? They are. The Bible talks a lot about that as well. But it, it, it doesn't stop there. There's another type of wisdom that's presented to us in the Bible, which tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. To walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, there's no better way that you and I can be walking as children of God than by faith. It's a wisdom that we also find in the Bible that tells us to live, not by the assurance of future outcomes, but by trusting the God who is always at work in producing the outcomes. Right? A wisdom that tells us to be pliable and to be flexible in our lives rather than to be fixed or to be locked in to our own plans and our own outcomes. James deals with this in chapter 4, verse 3. We all know the familiar passage, right? Where he's like, don't say, later today or tomorrow, we're going to go here, and we're going to do this. What does he do? He rebukes that thought. He rebukes that thinking. He rebukes that person, because he says, you have no idea what God is going to be doing with you from here to there. Like, you're not being flexible, you're being locked in. And this is not a good way for you and I to live, because we will miss all kinds of opportunities that God puts in front of us every day to walk in and to enjoy and to serve and to bless others with, right? And so we need to live um, in, in a way that's pliable, in a way that's flexible, even spontaneous. And like a lot of you right now, again, are just freaking out. Like, there's no way. Like, if you do, there's nothing better. Like, I, I promise you. And it doesn't mean that you don't ever plan for things, but be ready. Be ready to allow God's plans to be bigger than yours. That's really what we're talking about here. Like, be sensitive to the fact and just, 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 be, uh, just give, give yourself over to the reality that what God's doing 
is way more important than what you think you need to do. At any given time, any day, I don't care what, what it is that you're going into, if God shows up, it, it, is, it is in our best interest and blessing to be ready for it and to be ready to take a right or to take a left and to move into the unknown, <laughs> into what it is that he has waiting for us to do. Even if it's not something that's in the moment rewarding or comfortable. His plans are best. What he's doing, guys, is best. His idea of what's best and good, Romans 8.28, for everybody on this earth, is better than ours. And so it's right for us to always be conscious, mindful, aware of what he's doing any given moment than be so locked in that we walk through life with blinders on, missing it all. Missing it all. Scriptures like that one in James remind us to live in a perpetual state of being open to the reality that God has plans that may be better than ours. Um, That God has an agenda that's greater than ours tells us that all the worrying in the world does not change, relieve, or alter in any way that which is is going to happen according to his determination. This is kind of verse three, the rain falling, the tree falling is going to happen with or without you. And Solomon's saying here, if you think that you have the power to make sure everything comes out right, everything turns out right, everything goes over well before you go into it, you're not wise. You're not wise, you're a fool because you will end up doing nothing. And I I see no greater abuse of this, honestly, in my own life. and even in other Christians' lives, other believers' life, um, than in this phrase. I'm praying about that. Like, like I feel like, which we should be bringing everything to the Lord, right? Like we should be bringing everything to God, but, but once we bring things to God, we can generally put one foot in front of the other, knowing that he's heard our prayer, and start stepping. But I don't know how many people will hold that card and play that card day after day, week after week, month after month, with the same thing, the same decision, the same crossroads that they're dealing with. I'm praying about it. Which a lot of times really means like, God needs to burn a bush to assure me (laughs) that everything's going to be perfect before I walk into this. What does it do? It takes us all the way back to the beginning, to the problem of eliminating faith, of being all about ourselves and what we can do and what we control. And um, honestly, guys, we don't have a lot of control over a lot of things. I know that we've seen Solomon kind of move this way. As the book has progressed, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, he's, he's, gotten, uh, he's made more claims of God being bigger as it goes along. So the sovereignty of God thing just keeps getting played and extended and stretched the more that he observes life around him. It's like God is in control and doing more than you and I give him credit for, like continually, like constantly. And, and actually, we see that in verse 6, don't we? We see that in 6. Or I'm sorry, 5. I'm jumping ahead. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones of the womb, the womb with the, gosh, I'm getting ahead of myself. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. There is something far bigger, far bigger, far deeper going on in life beyond just what we can see 
and just what we can plan for and just what we can understand or comprehend or make happen. Something far bigger. This is why faith matters, is that God is working on, at levels, right? We can't even begin to wrap our brains around. So how is it that we can see if I do this, this will happen. If I withdraw, this will be the result. We can't. God is working at levels beyond us every day in everything. And one example is the womb. Life coming. Did you make that happen? Do you know how that happens? Some of you are like, of course I made it happen. Hmm. We can't even begin to evaluate the plans and the workings and the outcomes of him who is over all things. But rather, because we know him who is over all things, we can move forward rather than stand still. Solomon's point in verse 6, where he says, uh, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. We have no idea which work or which action will prosper, so we might as well find out. That's what he's saying. Might as well move forward and find out because you don't know. But one of them won't prosper. Neither of them will prosper, surely, if you don't move forward at all. That's it. And if you fail finding out, that's good failure, by the way, not bad. That's good failure. There's an okay failure in life, even though we don't like it and it hurts our, our pride a little bit you know, or whoever's watching or close by, you know what I mean? Like, it's okay. There's a difference between, like, bad failure and good failure. Again, this whole book really is a, is a product of Solomon's failure, his failed life experiments. And because of those, God is taking what he's learned from that, right? He's been educated the hard way on some of this stuff, and he's passing it on to us so that we can learn too right? That's a good thing, not a bad thing. So there's, there's good failures sometimes. It's okay. You know, and sometimes we'll come off golden when we take a risk and sometimes we'll fail, but both is living and God is over both of them. So in the morning plant, no matter what you think, whether you, whether you think it's a good day or a bad day for it, right? And then the evening pick, reap, act, and let it work itself out because not God knows what he's doing. And so finally, in light of that, we have invest, diversify, take risks, and rejoice. Rejoice. Verses 7, 8, and 9 basically go here. This is the, the dominant, the prominent word in these verses in life is to rejoice. It says in, there in 7, light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Um, this is my wife's favorite verse in the entire Bible. <laughs> Like this one's underlined and highlighted, it's on the fridge. Um, just something about the sun, feeling the sun. She, she loves it. She goes nuts. She goes nuts if she doesn't have the sun for like two days. Like it, you know, does something. And I think that you and I kind of all understand that. Um, or something about the sun that makes us feel alive. And this is really what we're talking about here, is that it's not just good to exist. It's good to be alive. There's a difference. There's a difference. Almost nothing lets us know that like the sun does. Um, and there's actually a lot to rejoice in, like we're about to find out, under the sun. Okay? And that's kind of where he goes next. Um, <clears throat> so question, is it better? This is going to be interesting because it's a mixed room. Um, is it better in life to be young 
or old? Is it better to, yeah. Is it better to be young or old? Um, it's, it's funny how when you're young, we just want to be older. Um, and then when we're old, like, it'd be cool to be young again. <laughs> like, it'd be cool to, to go back and be that age again. Um, and, and Solomon says re rejoice in both. Embrace both. They're both good. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are, there are things that are unique to and only possible to be enjoyed in each season of life. And as, on top of that, they also each season has their own set of challenges, right? So Solomon's like, if you grow old and you're given many days, there's great blessing in that, but there's also a price tag in that, right? Solomon adds here, you know, remember that the days of darkness will be many, right? So first he says rejoice in that, and then he says the days of darkness are going to be many, and I, I think he's definitely talking about what will follow those days, right, uh, which is death. But, but I also think he's talking about also what is, like what exists, what's, what, what, what's a part of living a long life, you know? The more days you spend on earth, the greater your chances are for headache and heartbreak and loss and pain and turmoil and hardship because that's the reality of what takes place under the sun as well, right? And again, I love that my Bible doesn't lie to me. I hope you love that too. I hope you love that your Bible doesn't lie to you. I hope you love that it just shoots straight. It just says it like it is. It tells it like it is. It's not trying to trick us into something. It's like, yeah, life, life can be rad, you know, live it full out, but just know that, like, it's going to suck too. Like, there's, there's just stuff that's going to happen that um, is, is not going to be fun. And so be ready for both, you know. Um, darkness comes with the light of life. Um, I remember looking at my grandma Ruby, um, and by the way, like if you don't know me really well, um, I, I haven't been married before, and that's not my other wife. That's my grandma, <laughs> grandma. And um, I would look at her sometimes at 100 years old. You know, we'd sit and play cards. She still had her brain fully. And I would think, how amazing is it, some of the stuff that she has seen and experienced? She was born in 1912, the year the Titanic sunk. And I would sit there sometimes and look at her and think, of the stuff that she has seen come about, the progress of stuff, um, family members, generations within her family of people that she loved, right? And you would just, sometimes I would, I would just envy her. I would just think, wow, how, how amazing, how blessed. And then other times I would look at her at 100 years old, and I would think how hard to live as long as she's lived, to see and experience that, what she's seen and experienced. How numerous are the scars that she has taken on in her heart and her head and her body over those hundred years, right, that she's absorbed and that she's carried as a result of dark days that she's endured. They're both there. It's part of living in a broken world. And brothers and sisters, we've said it before and we'll keep saying it, like being a Christian does not mean that your troubles in life go away. That's not why Jesus came. He came because we have bigger problems than that. We are in opposition to an eternal God. And if that doesn't get straightened out, then we're eternally away from him. That's our problem. It's not that we get sick. It's not that we lose loved ones. Those, all, those are stinky things as a result of a broken, fallen world, but they are not our biggest problem. And just because you're a Christian, you become a Christian, doesn't mean that everything's going to be fixed 
and everything's going to fall into place. Like, also, being a Christian doesn't mean that if bad things happen or dark days visit us that we've done something wrong or that God's mad at us. It's a result of living in a fallen world, a broken world. It means that we're living in a broken, fallen world in which these things are a part of. It would be easy for us to read uh, the back of the verse like this and say, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid dark days, right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to plan that much more. I'm going to be that much more careful. Um, -da 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 -da. Uh, which brings us back to the, 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 the elimination of faith and the elimination of risk, which is actually what robs us from life actually what robs us. Solomon would say, no, live your life with all your heart regardless of the dark days. That's really what he's saying here. Like run it full out. Rejoice. On the other hand, you got young people, you know, who tend to think that they'll really begin to start enjoying life when they grow up. This was my thought, you know, when I was um, young. The young person thinks, I can't wait till I'm adult so I can do whatever I want. So I can do whatever I want right? When I start driving, when I graduate high school, when I move out of my parents' house, then I'm going to really start living, right? Freedom. Freedom was everything. Freedom was the answer, you know, and not having it was, you know, why I was so miserable in my mind when I was a kid. And a man at 100 years old can assure that young person the secret to enjoying life is to not blink, but we cannot hear it when we're young. We cannot hear it. We cannot even comprehend it. To us, the grass is always greener on the part of the lawn that we're not standing on. Always. And it's the same for you and I even now in our lives most of the time. My wife and I used to say, gosh, I can't wait till these kids are 18 and out of the house. Like, I can't, we can't wait. Like, that, that will be rad. You know, that's when life for us is really going to get good, right? And now that it's happened, it's, gosh, I can't wait for our kids to come over. I can't wait for our kids to visit. I can't wait for grandkids. I can't wait for our house to be full again. What's the point? That we're always looking for the joy of life to occur somewhere other than where we're at in life. And because we do that, the rejoicing part eludes us. We're unable to do it because we're not enjoying anything. The joy is found there. It's found there. It's found there. It's found everywhere other than where we are. That's why many of us just exist and fail to really rejoice in our existence because we think rejoicing can only happen in the reality we're not currently experiencing. Solomon says to the young person, verse 9, that their heart ought to cheer them in the days of their youth. Um, in, in other words, don't, don't look ahead for life to start. Don't look ahead for joy to start. Feel life now. Enjoy life now because you're in the perfect place to enjoy and experience stuff you can never get back, that you can never experience again. Right? There's the story of the boy, Christmas Day, who um, got like a pair of light-up shoes. Right? And like he just, he just thought they were the coolest thing. And uh, he puts those things on, and every time you step, you know, they light up. You guys know which ones I'm talking about? And he wears them all day, Christmas Day. And then that night he goes to bed, he takes them off, and he never puts them on again. And it's because he remembered something that his mom said when he opened them up that morning, which was, careful now, because as soon as you wear the batteries out, they won't light up again. And so he took them off that night after enjoying them for one day and never put that back, them back on again until one day he went back to them and he couldn't wear them. You know why? His feet had grown. 
couldn't, he couldn't put them on when, if he wanted to because he was over it. That window of opportunity to enjoy that thing was closed forever. Couldn't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't go backwards with that stuff, right? And it was lost. It was gone. There's things that you and I rightly should be enjoying right now. Uh, Solomon says, rejoice, young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Um, or as Ferris Bueller would say. You're like, dude, you're not going to quote Bueller. Yes, I am. <laughs> don't go watch the movie, though. Uh, life moves pretty fast, right? If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it, right? Which brings us appropriately into the next part of this verse, the final part here. Um, because um, Ferris, like, meant this for youthful stupidity. <laughs> if you watch the movie, you will know that. He was a little rebellious punk that was doing things that he shouldn't have been doing, right? Uh, but Solomon doesn't mean it that way. He doesn't mean it that way. Uh, he say, he, Solomon's actually like, don't be stupid in the rejoicing of your youth. Just don't, don't be dumb. Don't use your youth for an excuse to be careless, foolish, sinful, right? Why? Because how you live matters to God. That's why. Even when you're young, you don't get a hall pass just because you're young, how you live, what you do, the decisions you make matter to God. They matter. That's the back of verse 9. God will bring you into judgment. God will bring you into judgment. What you do even when you're young and how you do it matters. Um, Solomon goes on in 10 to say, remove vexation from your heart and put away the pain from your body. Uh, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Vexation, not a word we usually use. Like I can't remember any time when... I've been talking to any of you in a conversation and someone busted out vexation. Like, I, I, I don't think it's happened, but all it means is, is basically to be annoyed or to be worried or to be frustrated or to be sorrowful. That's what vexation, it kind of like takes all those things, which is why it's such a good word, and like compresses them all together. Um, and in, in other words, um, don't, you know, don't have vexation, like don't focus on being older. Don't focus on not having enough freedom. Don't focus on the fact that you got parents that love you and are keeping you alive by telling you no. You know what I mean? Like don't trip out on those things. Uh, they'll, they'll steal your joy, you know? Those are the very things that will rob you of life now. Those are the things that will kill your rejoicing now. And Solomon also says here, he says, put away pain from your body. So he's basically like, be healthy and feel good physically all the time. No, right? The word pain is the same as evil, and body is basically the idea of presence, right? So he's basically saying, put away evil from your presence. Put away evil from your presence. Don't be stupid. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow the crowd. And don't follow your vexations in life, because all of them will take you off a cliff. Every single one of them. And away from things away from things to rejoice over. But if you follow righteousness, your heart will cheer you in the days of your youth. There's a great joy, even while young, in doing what is right. And I don't know a lot of it or remember a lot of it, which is one of my regrets, because I wasn't that guy when I was young. I was the dude that was just grabbing every grenade I could find and pulling the pin. Like That's how, that's how I lived my younger years and lived my life, and many of you have done that as well. But Solomon's encouraging us to 
rejoice, but to do it responsibly. Like there is rejoicing in that. And I've talked about my dad a little bit. I just want to talk about my mom for a second because she's one of those, she's one of those women that come to mind with me in this. Um, my mom came to the Lord at a really young age. She grew up in the church. She doesn't even have a memory that's not one um, where, we, where she was completely committed to living for the Lord, right? And I think she got baptized when she was six. Um, she's always, always, always been committed to doing what's right in the eyes of God. Um, and not because she doesn't want to or she feels like God's going to like hammer her if she, if she doesn't, because she has a heart. She's born again. She has a heart for the Lord. She wants to please God, and she's done it at a young age, so she like never cussed. She never watched bad movies. She never smoked a cigarette. She never drank. She never did drugs. She never went to parties. She never slept around with other dudes. Like, she never did any of those things, and you know what? My mom's one of the most joyous women you will ever meet. She has no regrets for doing what's right in her youth and following her Lord, and I look at that and I say, what a rad test. Like, that's the coolest testimony there is, that God just gets a hold of somebody in their youth and they're never the same, that they're just enjoying all the benefits of joy that comes with following the Lord. Because if you're like me, the thought is all God wants to do is keep me from having fun. Like, the commandments are just there to keep me from having fun. Everything that comes out of the mouth of Jesus is there to keep me from having fun, right? Just to kill joy. That was like my view of that right? But that's not at all it. It's it, like everything that's established by God for us is the opposite. It's so that you and I can fully experience joy. What it actually is. It's just that in our sinfulness and our rebelliousness, we don't want it. We don't want joy to look like that. We want it to look like this. We don't think it looks like that. We think it looks like this. Until God comes to us and he does a work and he wakes us up and he puts his spirit in us. And then our eyes are open and we're like, oh my gosh, I've been, ba- I've been upside down this whole time. All this is garbage and everything that God offers me is good. He's given us all of it so that there can be joy and much rejoicing even in the hardest times of our lives. Everything God gives us is for our joy. And my mom displays that like... Like, it's just seen in her. It's true. And it's weird when you see it. It's a unicorn because you don't see a lot of kids that are just sold out. You know what I mean? Especially anymore. It's like, it's, it's just not around. You know? And my, my, my mom has no regrets for fixing her eyes on Christ and never taking them off from the youngest age. This is true. This is true. And Solomon's saying, yeah, this is, this is a good thing to, re, to rejoice in your youth. Not... not because of the stupid things you're doing, but in what God would consider rejoice. Good things, heavenly things. And of course, Brent's going to get into this in 12.1 um, next week. It's going to transition this direction. So in closing, I just want to, um, you're like, that wasn't closing? No, we're all, this is closing, <laughs> all right? Um, so like, I, I want to see, like, do we see these things? Because this can sound like a, some kind of an inspirational talk or a pep talk, like, oh, invest, diversify. Like, it's not a typical sermon I would do, but I do believe that that's what's being brought forward. So do we see these type of things? Uh, did we see them take place in the life of Christ? Like, how did we see him um, do these things? And so really close, um, or, or really quick, invest, okay? Just the first one. No one can ever look at Jesus. I don't care if you believe he's the son of God or, or didn't believe he's the son of God, that he was just a man or a good teacher. No one can ever look at Christ and say, that guy didn't cast his bread across the waters. You know what I'm saying? 
Like no one could ever look at him and accuse him of not investing in the lives of the people around him. Because that's exactly what he did. He was a master at it. He literally came to distribute life abundantly, liberally. In fact, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life, right? So he, he, he is that which is necessary for life, and he freely offered it, cast it upon everybody. He invested. He came to invest in us. He came to invest in a people that didn't deserve any kind of investing, Number two, diversified. Jesus came to his own. His own received him not, but as many came to him, he gave the right to become the children of God, right? Jesus saves. Jesus saves Jews. Jesus saves Gentiles. Jesus saves everybody. He came for everybody. He didn't just come to save his own. That was, that was never um, like supposed to be an, an exclusive deal. He was always coming to save the world to save all of us. He diversified that which he invested in, that which he broke his body over. There is no discrimination with Jesus. There is no partiality with Jesus. There is no preference with Jesus. And that's where you and I probably have a lot of self-examining to do, even as people of, the people of God, is I think we can still be so discriminatory and partial to who we invest in and diversify with, with our goodness, and our generosity, and our charity, and our grace. We ought to check ourselves on that. He didn't have any partiality or preference. His heart and love toward all, he had his heart and love toward all people, as is seen through his life, death, and resurrection, that is offered to all, extended to all, bestowed upon all, because Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of everybody. Right? So he invested, he diversified, uh, he, he t take risks. Technically, this one doesn't work, okay? It's impossible for Jesus to take a risk um, because he knew everything. Like, he's, he was in control of everything. Um, and so this one's an impossibility. But I would mention that he stepped into some very bad conditions in order to bring us life. Like, that's interesting. You know what I mean? The conditions he stepped into had nothing to do with convenience, ease, or safety. They were not preferable. And when you think about it, God could have constructed the redemptive plan however he wanted. Like he, he could have set things up so that it was safe and comfortable and, and didn't take too, but he didn't. He stepped into something that from your, your vantage point was risky. Like, like that would be a bad decision to do that. <laughs> like you really shouldn't go right now to where you're going and do what you're doing. But he did. He went anyway and he acted. And the way he chose to do this whole redemptive act in many ways did and still does look more like a failure to our world than it does a success. You ever thought about that? It's interesting. But it wasn't, was it? It was not a failure. It's the greatest victory the world has ever known. It's a success that brought us life, that facilitates life. And then finally rejoice. How is it that Christ was able to rejoice in what happened to him? Well, it was in doing the Father's will. It's what I just talked about with my mom. He says this over and over again, that he came to do his Father's will. And that's where his joy was rooted, is in doing the will of God. Not the will of the world, not the things of the world. It was by doing the will of God that Christ was able to rejoice in the most unimaginable circumstances that somebody could possibly go through. He had joy from doing the Father's will. He also had it um, 
by what it was that was ahead of what he came to do, right? We see this in Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the hard thing. And of course, by him enduring that hard thing, by going through with it, you and I are here right now. We would not be here in this room talking about what we're talking about, listening to what we're listening to, worshiping who we're worshiping, if it wasn't for him stepping out and going through that hard thing that is now an eternal reward for him and also for all who believe in him and put their trust in him. And so I would encourage you, if you're here today and you haven't done that, to throw yourself upon Christ. There's no bread more necessary in life than him that you will ever taste of. And he is the bread of life. Um, there's so many church applications we can put into this, right? Um, which we don't have time for. So I would encourage you to go home and just look, examine what this looks like in light of Christ in you and you being a follower of Christ, what it looks like in your life to stretch out a little bit, to invest, to diversify, to take risks, and then rejoice in every single bit of it because God's got a fantastic plan. Like he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, and I, I don't know why we don't get that, because we read it in almost every page of our Bible. God knows what he's doing. There's no way he cannot be trusted with every unknown in our life. Thank you, Lord, for, um, for just reminding us again of um, just basic things that can help ground us, um, practical things that can um, just help us be all that you've left us on this earth to be. There are neighbors around us that have never heard the gospel. There are coworkers that we have that have never heard the gospel. There are people that play golf with us that have never heard the God. Like, God, I, I, I pray that we would take these things seriously, that we would examine ourselves, God, and then that you would empower us by your spirit and your goodness um, to move out, to trust you more, to walk more by faith, not so much by sight, so that we're ready in every perfect moment to do that which you're already doing. And so, um, yeah, strengthen us that way, we ask here at the door. And we do pray, God, for next Sunday and what's coming, um, just as an opportunity um, to actually walk in some of this with our community, that there would be opportunities, um, that there would be real, um, like, significant discussions, connections, relationships that are made that night. Um, and, and I pray that we would come with, like, anticipating that. Um, expecting that. Um, yeah. So we thank you for today. We thank you for this time of worship. In your son's name. Amen.